0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, as our children are heading out, uh, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Luke chapter 10. uh, Luke 10, Uh, we're going to look at a uh, a parable today that uh, if you've been around church at all, uh, probably is somewhat familiar to you, you, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the danger when we come to uh, passages like the parable of the Good Samaritan in uh, Luke 10 uh, is that we're so familiar with it that we think we got it all, and we just kind of run by some things. And so I'm going to intentionally kind of slow down as we walk through this today, and hopefully you'll see maybe some things that either you've missed, and the Lord will open your eyes uh, to those things, or um, that maybe some things that you're, you'll be reminded of, uh, that you've just kind of lost sight of. That you need in this, in this moment. Uh, just a, a heads up uh, to all the men in the room. Uh, the good news for you is that today is not Valentine's Day. But the warning is that Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Alright, so uh, just so you know, it, it's coming quickly. So, so uh, if you have not prepared, uh, make preparation. We're in the midst of this series, What Do You Love Most?, And uh, we're looking at the heart's affections, and Matt alluded to this earlier as he was uh, welcoming and and praying, that uh, there are certain things that are in our lives that are telling about where our heart is, where our treasure is. And we've spent several weeks talking about money, and today I'm not going to talk about money, but I am going to talk about love. And I'm not specifically going to speak about love uh, between a husband and a wife, but I'm going to speak about loving others. Um, and and uh, this is something that we're all commanded to do. In fact, John 13, 34 said, a new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so I want us to talk a little bit about love this morning. Um, I, I just made a list of some things. What does love include? Let me just give you uh, just some, some thoughts that come to mind. You may think of others. Um, feel free to jot those down. But uh, love includes things like commitment, uh, care, thoughtfulness, uh, truthfulness, even when it hurts uh, for the other person's good. Now, you got to be careful with that one because uh, sometimes there's some things where you can be truthful and it might do unnecessary damage there, okay? Just saying. Um, that, that age-old question, you know. How's this dress look on me? Just be careful there is all I'm saying, right? Um, uh, love includes things like affection, uh, a willingness to make sacrifice. Uh, this, all these things are included in love. Uh, and when we think of love, what types of relationships come to mind? Well, uh, relationships like uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife, uh, parents and their children, uh, between teenagers who are dating one another, uh, Relationships in our community or, or with neighbors they can be immediately next door neighbors or they could simply be acquaintances in the community, maybe somebody you see in the grocery store and and uh, you you go way back with our relationships with friends these can be coworkers or or friends at school or whatever the case may be, and then they're also we're called to love others that are strangers that we don't even know, you know we just Bump into life kind of brings us across one another's paths, and we are called to to love even strangers. Well, as I thought through this, and I thought if love includes these things, and these are the, the relationships that we kind of think of when it comes to love, then what does love look like in each one of these today? Well, if we look at how the world would define love, not necessarily how God would define love, but how the world would define love in these relationships. Uh, let me just give you some, some facts about this. Half of all marriages today end in divorce. Um, too often uh, in the home, either the kids are, are idolized or they are neglected and abandoned. Um, now, I'm not saying there's not anywhere in between because I think a lot of that is going on as well, but we do see a lot of kids that are just absolutely parents who are living vicariously through them and, man, they're pushed into everything and they can do no wrong, and we see a lot of the other extreme as well. Uh, we see in in the relationships, particularly in in the young culture today, uh, this sort of hookup culture where the the one person is used by the other person for sex or popularity uh, to find their identity. Uh, most people don't even know uh, when it comes outside of uh, that. If if you look in where you live, most people don't even really know their neighbors by name. Uh, a friend is is simply maybe a number. Uh, on a Facebook page or Instagram or Snapchat or something like that. Um, strangers are, are easily ignored, uh, even sometimes when they're in trouble. I grew up in a day where, where my dad would, it didn't matter if, if there was a car stopped on the side of the road, you know, a guy out trying to you know, change a tire or the hood up or whatever, my dad was going to stop. And there are times when that's not the wise thing to do is is to stop uh, and to help. And I'm not going to advocate that for for every single person. But, you know, it's easy nowadays to hide behind some things and just say, oh, there's a stranger there in need or in trouble. Somebody else will help him. And the reality is, John 13, 34, in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus calls us to love. Beyond those relationships that I just laid out for you, uh, What about the relationships that we have with one another in the church? Uh, Are we exhibiting in the church this covenantal commitment to one another, where we're there for one another, and we've we've made a covenant and a promise to one another to help one another grow in the Lord, to discipline one another when we need it, to rebuke one another, but also to encourage and edify one another when that's called for? Are we committed to one another? Is there genuine caring? Do we use one another for personal gain in the church? Now, I don't necessarily see this going on a lot here, but I have served in churches where it was the popular church in town and, and uh, it became sort of a, a thing. If you wanted to grow your business, you joined that church because if, you, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't make any contacts if you didn't know the people there. And so it was sort of a, a platform or a country club. Are we involved in one of those lives? Should we be involved in one of those lives? And then does this come naturally? These are just some questions that I wrote out as I was thinking through this this sermon today. I want to look at our passage today and just in the context of the church and 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 our neighbors, see how God is calling us to love one another, to love others. And then what does this say about our hearts? So if you will, follow along with me as I read in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now I want to just give you some things as we walk through this passage, pretty slowly as we walk through these verses, verse by verse, I want to show you what's at stake here, some things that we're called to, and what this might reveal The first is that love is not optional. For the one who calls himself a child of God, who is a follower of Christ Jesus, who is a disciple of His, love is not optional. The whole context of this parable of the Good Samaritan really is framed by the lawyer's question, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? In other words... What have I got to do to be saved? How can I be saved? This is the entire context, and we lose sight that this is what frames it. So the the framework for this is salvation, okay? Lawyer's motives, though, when he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, are not pure. He comes to Jesus, and the Bible specifically tells us that he stood up to test Jesus, He didn't really want an answer to the question, Teacher, how can I be saved? Because he already assumes, Oh, I'm saved. I mean, everybody knows I'm saved. I mean, look at me. I I know the law, like backwards and forward. I'm I'm saved. He doesn't want the answer from Jesus. He's not asking an honest question. He simply wants to trap Jesus to catch him in some sort of error so that he can jump forward and say, Aha! I got you. Because he's a lawyer, an expert in the law, and he thinks, if anybody can catch Jesus, I can. So he doesn't come honestly wanting an an answer. Instead, he wants to catch Jesus in error. He assumes he's already saved. So Jesus turned the question back on him with another question. verse 26, he said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And in so doing, Jesus is giving... uh, validation to the scriptures jesus here is pointing to the scriptures as being the source for truth okay so he says what is written in the law how do you read it and the lawyer puffs out his chest and he says you shall love the lord your god with all of your heart and he just quotes the shema with all of your your heart and with all of your your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and you shall love your neighbor as yourself and he's proud in his reply and I want you to notice that Jesus does not correct. He doesn't, he doesn't tell him, Oh, no, you answered wrongly. He doesn't correct his doctrine. He doesn't correct his, his orthodoxy. Instead, Jesus said, You've answered correctly. But notice, even though Jesus does not correct his orthodoxy, Jesus points out and exposes the hypocrisy in his orthopraxy. In other words, Jesus shows You know the right answer, but you're not doing what you say is right. You've answered correctly, and then Jesus said, you go and do. You go and and live. You go and do this, and you will live, is what Jesus said. The live there is directly tied back to his question of eternal life. So Jesus here, his point is not that a person can be saved. If the the lawyer comes and says, what what have I got to do to get eternal life? How can I be saved? Jesus' point is not that if you just muster up enough loving kindness and, and enough compassion for people, then God will look on you and say, he's a good person. She is a loving person. Therefore, I will let them into my presence. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. But what Jesus is indeed pointing out is that for the saved person, love will be there. That that a saved person, a, 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 a sanctified person will be indeed a loving person. Not in perfect measure. I mean, if all of us were to sit here today and we were to say, Boy, if that's the test for my life, if I, have to, if I have to look at my life and say, am I really a, a loving person? And if not, then maybe I'm not saved. If that's the real test for me, then, man, I don't know. And Jesus is not saying that you will always be, in every circumstance, perfectly and always loving. And the reason Jesus is not saying that is because if he were saying that, there would have been no reason for him to come. Because he's the only one who ever did love perfectly. Even to the ones who were pulling fists of, fulls of of beard out of his face and striking him in the head and mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus loved them perfectly. When he's on the cross and they're hurling insults at them, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but that's probably not going to be my response. somebody, is insulting me and attacking me. I'm probably going to reciprocate. How about you? So Jesus here is not saying, in order to be saved, you must perfectly love. But what he is saying is that if you are indeed saved, if you possess eternal life, it will show up in the pattern of your life. The pattern of your life will say, you are a loving person. So maybe a good question, a good test for this, is maybe you... go to somebody that knows you really well. Your spouse, your kids, somebody. Not not your best friend that just tells you everything you want to hear, but go to somebody that knows you well and ask them, am I generally loving? Do I care about others? Do I treat them well? And somebody that knows you well and that has permission to speak into your life can tell you whether or not this is true of you or not. But Jesus here is not saying you have to muster this up in order to be saved. Instead, he's pointing out the the lack of eternal life in this lawyer. So the, the lawyer comes first to test Jesus. He's not coming to trust him. Secondly, though, the lawyer comes to justify himself, not to accept the diagnosis that he's just received. In verse 29, it says that when Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do this and you will live, the lawyer is immediately hit with, I don't do this. But instead of accepting the the diagnosis of himself and saying, I must not have the eternal life that I've just asked about, instead, he wants to justify himself. In other words, he wants to defend himself. And this is what it says in 29 desiring to justify or defend himself he said and who's my neighbor this, there's a there's a, uh, a there's an aroma of sarcasm in the air when he says this to Jesus And who's my neighbor Just like before, he really doesn't want the answer to this. He's only seeking to defend himself. He was really asking, not who is my neighbor? And if you'll point out who my neighbor is, I'll go love them. Instead, what he's really asking is, who's not my neighbor? You tell me, tell me who it's okay for me not to love, is what he's asking. I'm already doing this, he says. I'm already doing this with everybody that's that's lovable. He's he's got this this air of sarcasm that says to Jesus surely there is a limit to the scope of God's expectation on who he would have me to love, right? I mean because there's some people that are just unlovable and I don't have to love them, right? I mean Jesus understands. I mean some people just get on your nerves, right? Or some people are beyond being able to be loved, right? This is this is what he is saying surely God wouldn't want me to love those people but the reality is what Jesus is going to show in telling this parable to this lawyer is for the one who has eternal life love is not an option we don't get to we don't get to put parameters on it before I get ahead of myself let me just go to the second point we don't get to choose our neighbors we, we don't get to choose our neighbors. In verse 30, notice how nondescript Jesus is when he tells this parable. A man. Can you get any more nondescript than that? A man. He's, he's a man, and he's going down, and he is attacked. He's just a man. What Jesus doesn't identify where he's from, what he does... How much money he has, how old he is, what color his skin is, what he believes, or what he's into. Jesus says none of that. Jesus just says, a man. And what Jesus does in in making that so nondescript for us is he pulls the rug out from under any excuse that we may have. Well, surely God wouldn't have me to love that person. And Jesus says, no, 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 It's, it's a man. Jesus pulls this rug out by saying, this is anybody, anybody. And before you say, well, you know, is he saying that women are okay not to love? You can, I think, transplant, you could say a woman was going down as well. We don't have the right to say there's some people that are off limits for us to love. Jesus pulls this rug out from under so many of our excuses that we use, and he's telling us that prejudice is wrong. That racism is wrong. That elitism is wrong. You and I, if we are children of God, we don't get to choose our neighbors and we cannot look at someone and say, you're beyond the scope of what God would have me to love. We don't get to choose our neighbors. Jesus describes this man in a very nondescript way. A man the second part of his description of this man is he describes a man who is who was in dangerous uncomfortable need you ever happened across somebody that was in dangerous uncomfortable need this is who he's describing This man, he says, he's going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a 17-mile stretch, and it was a very dangerous road where thieves and robbers would often wait for those passing by so that they could take everything they had, beat them up, just like they did to this guy. It's a dangerous road, but sometimes it's an unavoidable road. When when Jesus here uses the word robbers, we kind of have this image of what a robber might look like in our day and age you need to think here more like a terrorist this is the kind of road this is the kind of people that he has fallen prey to and what we need to be aware of is when Jesus describes this man who is in dangerous uncomfortable need that this could be any of us in an instant how many times have you happened across somebody who was in dangerous uncomfortable need and had a thought like well they probably had it coming and, and maybe that's none of you. Maybe I'm just the only one up here that's maybe had something like that. Maybe we look, we look at this and we hear a story like this and we, we, we think, well, what was he doing going down that road? I mean, doesn't he know? I mean, everybody knows. That's where robbers and stuff hang out. So he had it coming, man. If you he want, he, he set himself up. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. And sometimes we think like that. But the reality is we don't know what someone has endured and how they got there in this day and age this road was was the only route going from jerusalem to jericho and it couldn't be avoided he had to take this road and it just happened to be that he comes across these robbers and they they beat him and take everything he has and i would say to you that self-righteousness like well he probably had it coming self-righteousness causes us to walk to the other side of the road The reality is, we can look at someone, we come across in our lives and we say, well, they probably had it coming. But the reality is, in this case, in this story, the only thing that separates the lawyer in this story from this man who falls prey to the the robbers is that this guy left maybe 15 minutes before he did. I mean, how many times have you come across something and thought, "Man, man, if I'd have left when I thought I was going to, that could have been me. So if righteousness causes us to walk to the other side of the road, we need to be aware of those who are around us that are in need. And let me just give you some examples. I just spent some time and just thought through. This is not exhaustive in your life, maybe even personally right now, or maybe something you will come across in the future. But these, You may have something totally different, but let me just give you these. The homeless person on the street. And I realize that there are people out there that are making a living, scamming people, wanting money. But we don't need to hide behind an excuse of, well, I know what that guy's motives are. All he's wanting to do is buy drugs and alcohol. And in some situations, it may be true. And in some situations, the Lord may lead you to say, "If I give him this, it's only going to hurt him. It's going to lead him into this. so I'm going to stray away from that. But there are times when people have come on hard luck, if you will, and nobody will give them this time of day and Man, just some human interaction and just some kindness and some generosity and some love from a believer, from anybody for that matter, would be so helpful and so God glorifying. Amen? I guess that one hurt. The victim of domestic abuse, the unborn baby in the womb. The co-worker who searches for identity in alcohol and in inappropriate relationships. The classmate who struggles to fit in. The next door neighbor who is struggling to raise her kids by herself. The person for whom English is not their first language. And listen, since I've already went, started meddling and, and uh, didn't get an amen on the one a minute ago, I might as well go a little further and dig a little deeper. I realize the refugee crisis is staring us in the face right now. And it is a complicated issue. And I'm not going to land any one place today and say, this is absolutely what must happen or this is absolutely what must not happen. I'm not doing that today. But here's what I am going to say. Regardless, regardless of the politics of it, If there are those that come from other parts of the world as refugees into the Greenville-Spartanburg area and you cross paths with them and I cross paths with them, we have a God-given, Christ-like, gospel-centered responsibility to love them well. I think think we should do all that we can to, to, to make sure that we protect We look at the nation and we say we've got others that we must also consider. There's wisdom in that. But could it not be, church, could it not be that God may be bringing the nations to us so that we can love them well and give them what is ultimately the greatest need in the Gospel? We need to be aware of those who are in need around us. The elderly man who's in the mall looking for a Valentine's Day gift for his wife. My wife called me the other day and she said, I'm sorry, I'm late, I was in the mall and I came across this older man and he was at the perfume counter or jewelry counter or somewhere and he was looking for something to match this other thing he was getting for his wife. And my wife took the time, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes probably, and just helped this man find what he needed to, to love his wife well. Look for those people around you. We must be aware of those who are in need around us. They can be small and they can be huge. But look for those things. We don't get to choose our neighbors. The third in this passage I want you to see, I think is here, is that neighbors are not always who you would expect. Verses 31 and 33 in that section reveals that being religious doesn't make you loving. Being religious doesn't make you loving. Uh, it, it almost sounds like a uh, one of these you know bad jokes. A priest and a Levite were walking down a road, you know, and you just kind of think where it's going. And this lawyer must have been listening along, and he's hearing Jesus tell this parable, and he talks about this man who's fallen prey to these, these thieves and robbers. They took everything he's had, and they've beat him and left him half dead. And, and the lawyer hears... A priest was coming down the road. And the lawyer immediately probably thought, yeah, yeah, that's right. The priest will help him. The priest will love him. And Jesus turns the story and says, but the priest saw him, went to the other side of the road and passed him by. And the lawyer probably, and a Levite. See, there was a point where the the lawyer thought that, well, the religious people will surely help. But the reality is what Jesus would have us to see in this is that being religious doesn't make you loving. I was listening to a sermon by Matt Chandler on this passage, and Matt Chandler said, Understanding in our mind is not the same as believing in our heart. What we believe in our heart drives us to action, not necessarily what we believe in our minds. I think that's very true. There are cases where, and, I, and I'm not—I'm not. Please don't hear me being disparaging about uh, the church. I love the church. If I didn't love the church, I wouldn't be a pastor. I love the church, and I think when we gather, this is a good thing. I think the, the programs that we have put in place to help you grow in the Lord, those are good things. Don't hear that as being religious. What I'm talking about is following a certain set of rules, thinking that that somehow earns you favor with God. That's religious. It's you trying to get to God. And being religious does not make you loving. It can't. That's why Jesus told the lawyer in verse 28 You've answered correctly, now do this and you'll live. Jesus is pointing out that there must be a connection between what we believe and what we practice. That's why James said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. There are people who have sat in church pews and church seats all their lives and they have heard multiple sermons. And multiple presentations of the gospel. But it has never moved beyond their head. They know all the right answers. They show up when they're supposed to show up. They do all the things they're supposed to do. But there is no reality to their faith. Jesus would say to you and say to me, You've answered correctly. Now do this and live. How you treat the bum on the street reveals what's really in your heart. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm telling you, church, that God is placing people right in front of us to give us opportunities to flesh out the love that we claim to have for him. That's why Jesus in various places in Matthew talks about that one day he'll welcome them in and he'll say, when I was sick, you, you took care of me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And all these things. And they'll say, when, when did we do these things? And he points out that it was often the people that were in dangerous, uncomfortable need that we go out of our way, motivated by the gospel in our hearts to love them well, and in, in so doing, we don't realize it, we are loving Him vicariously. So being religious doesn't make you loving, but I'll, I'll go to the flip side of this and just say quickly, being different doesn't make a person unloving. Being different doesn't make a person unloving. Jesus chooses a Samaritan for the hero of his story. This is what Bob Stein said. Jesus deliberately chose an outsider and a hated one at that for his hero in order to indicate that being a neighbor is not a matter of nationality or race. That The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were, they were half-breeds in their eyes. The woman at the well, when Jesus was there in John 4, she asked Jesus the question, How is it that you, a Jew, are having a conversation with me, a Samaritan? This was so scandalous in that day. Many of the Jews prayed every single day that God wouldn't let any Samaritans into the resurrection of the just. This was part of their prayer. God, don't don't let any Samaritans in. When, When the Jews couldn't think of anything worse to call Jesus, in John 8, 48, they said, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? This is very shocking for this lawyer to hear. The hero of the story is the Samaritan. I want to ask you the question, don't we all know people who are not Christians, who are loving people? Don't you know some people that they may not necessarily love God, but boy, they are kind to their fellow man. And they are loving and thoughtful. And if you were to get sick, man, you know they'd be there. If you were in need, you know they'd be there. So being different, being on the outside, doesn't necessarily make you unloving. But let me just say this. Let there be no indictment against the church that the people on the outside are more loving than the people on the inside. I think this is four. Let me just give you this. I'm trying to cut some things here. Let me just give you some things about loving your neighbor. If love, love is not optional, then let me give you some things about loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is often inconvenient. In verse 33, verse, or the second part of the verse 33, says, As he journeyed, he was on his way somewhere. It's inconvenient. We, we cannot love people. We cannot love others. We cannot love our neighbor on our own timetables. There will be times when things will happen, and it will be the most inconvenient, the worst time possible, that God will place somebody in your life and say, Love them now. Loving your neighbor requires compassion. Verses 33 and 34, he came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. The word there in the original language for compassion means to be moved in the inward parts. And this is what moved him to go to him and bind up his wounds. To go to him. We can't love our neighbors from a distance. We must go to them. We must be willing to touch them. Loving your neighbor requires sacrifice. In verse 34, he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an end. We can't love our neighbors without sacrifice. We must give up our comforts. We must part ways with our plans. And loving our neighbor requires costly generosity. Generosity verse 35, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Hey, take care of him. Anything more you spend, when I come back, I'll pay you the rest. This two denarii, a denarii was the equivalent of a day's wages. And so what this man is giving up is two full days of work. For for a man he doesn't know, for a stranger. For this penniless stranger, he's giving up two days worth of wages. And not only that, but he says, look. If it costs more, I'll pay that too. Guess what? The fact that this guy is penniless means he doesn't expect anything in return. Loving loving our neighbor is going to require sacrifice and be costly. It's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to require us to be compassionate. But I would remind you that love is indeed a verb. Verses 36 through 37, as we close out this this parable that Jesus has told, Jesus reminds us that this is indeed a parable. Sometimes we forget the the first part where the lawyer comes and he he comes to test Jesus. And, you know, what have I got to do to get eternal life? Shema, do this and you will live. He seeks to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? We forget that part of it and we forget the, the bottom part of it. And all we focus on is this story. But the story Jesus told was to teach a greater lesson. Jesus reminds us that this is a story, and the reality is that truth is stranger than fiction. Jesus said in verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I want you to notice that the lawyer, even after this story, refuses to say the term Samaritan. He can't even bring himself to say it. This is so scandalous in his mind. Are you kidding me? Who's my neighbor? You want to tell me the Samaritan's my neighbor and i got to love the Samaritan? No. No, I I ain't doing that. It's the one who showed him mercy. He refuses to humble himself. He refuses to see what Jesus is saying. Lawyer, lawyer in this, this part of Scripture, if you want to know how to have eternal life, you have eternal life when you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior and your only hope of being made right with God. And when you do that, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God moves in, that he forgives you of all your sin, the Spirit of God moves into you, and you become changed and that change shows up in the way that you treat people. You begin to realize that one time you were on the outs. And you were the one who was in dangerous and uncomfortable need. You were the one whom who, who sin had, had rushed you and beaten you and stripped you and left you for dead. But there was a, there was a neighbor who came to you. There was one who came, and he, he didn't come just from anywhere. He came from heaven itself, and he was the Son of God. And Jesus became the good neighbor who cares for the one who's on the outs, who the one, for the one who's in dangerous, uncomfortable need. So the application for you this morning, church, is, I would simply challenge you and ask you, are you, are you sure that today you have eternal life? That today it will show up in your life if, if you are indeed saved. It will show up in the way that you see people around you and you care for them. It's one of the greatest indicators of the reality of your faith. Do you love people? Do you love others? When we do this series, what do you love most? Money is an indicator of where your heart is, but also how you see and view and treat others is as well. Jesus came to be that good neighbor to you. And Tim Keller said, until you see that you've had a neighbor, you can't be a neighbor. The second point of application today is this. What are your motives when you're coming to God? Are you in the position of the lawyer today you came hoping to just test, put God to the test, and hoping you'd walk away with just more ammunition to say, see, these people are fools for believing this? Or did you come honestly saying, God, help me to trust you? God, tell me the truth and help me to trust you and believe it and walk in it. Where are you at on that? When you hear the honest diagnosis, when Jesus speaks to you today and says, this is the reality of your life. If you have eternal life, then go and do this and you will live. And you hear the honest diagnosis of your life, you look at it and you say, thank you, God, you have indeed saved me and you've given me a loving heart in so many situations that, man, I know is not of me because the old me would not have responded that way. Maybe today you're sitting here, though, and you go, man, I, I don't love people. I don't think about anybody but myself. I'm so self-absorbed. I mean, I'm, I'm the center of my world. People change lanes in front of me and slow down, and, and I lose my mind. People don't meet the expectations at work, and I just go off on them. I don't see people in need. I don't care about them. Maybe you see that, and God, today, Jesus speaks to you and says, do this and you will live and you're going i'm not alive then i'm not alive i've never been made alive then are you today going to respond the way the lawyer did and seek to justify or defend yourself well who's my neighbor because there's some people that are just unlovable or are you willing today to accept the diagnosis and say jesus I don't love the way you want me to love. And God, I need you to change my heart. The third point of application, and this is it. To those of you who know that you are here today as believers, you know Christ has saved you. You know he lives in, inside of you, and, he, and he's, he's putting people inside, or in front of you for you to love. He's putting them there intentionally for you, to be his representative, to be the ministers of reconciliation there, I would just ask you this, who are those people? Who is your neighbor? Who has God placed in your life for you to love for him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take what I have said today, And, God, that you would remove those things that I have communicated wrongly or that I have communicated with pride or arrogance. And, God, that you would work your way through all of that and, Lord, that you'd use the truth of your word. And, God, by your Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those who are here. Lord, that you would call people out of the darkness of their lostness Lord, that you would shine a big light today in the middle of their religious false security. And God, today, that they might not respond the way the lawyer did. But today, God, today for them would be the day where they know for sure they have eternal life. God, that you might flood into their lives. Lord, help them to trust you and you alone. God, do it for your own glory. Love this community. Love our families. Love our neighbors, Lord, through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to reflect and respond. Perhaps today you're here and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has shown you that today you're lost and you don't know him as your Savior. That if today were your last day on earth, that you would die without him, hopeless. And today... I want to give you the opportunity to not defend yourself, but instead simply to accept his verdict and then to accept his grace. And I'm going to be seated down here on the front row, and if that's you, I would just implore you, if I can help you in that, I'd love to talk with you. If you need help in knowing, how do I go forward from here? How do I trust him? I would love to speak with you. And you say, well, maybe it's, it's more complicated than that. I think it's going to take more than just a few minutes up there at the front. We can connect you with those that will be willing to to listen with you and walk with you through this as you seek to trust the Lord. Just don't sit in silence. Don't hide back there. Don't justify your sin. Don't justify your lostness. Today, receive, accept his grace. The only place that can be found is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we give you that opportunity today today, maybe you're here and there's something else God's laid on your heart. Maybe there's a particular person in your life, in your office or in your home or wherever that you say, boy, I have not loved them well. And you just want to pray. Maybe pray where you are or pray up here or go through those doors into a prayer room or pray with a partner. But you just want to pray and ask God, God, would you please, Lord, forgive me for not loving and Lord, help me to love well. Perhaps you're here and there are other things. Maybe you feel led to to make this your church home and you want to begin the, the conversation to make that official. You can come see me today. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you need to deal with and respond in obedience today, I just ask you to do so and find him to be gracious and to find him to be true to everything he says he will be. Let's worship him.